Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Indefensible Plants podcast, the official podcast of indefensibleplants.com. What's up? This is your host, Matt. Welcome to the show. How is everyone doing this week? Today, we're heading into the ocean to talk about marine biology with Dr. Vivian Solis Weiss. She studies benthic organisms like crustaceans and polychaete worms. Why is she on this podcast, you might be asking? Well, Along with her colleague, they have discovered a unique pollination syndrome going on under the ocean involving seagrass, polychaete worms, and other kinds of crustaceans. It's mind-blowing, and it's opening up a door to a bunch of diversity and co-evolutionary dynamics that no one knew existed up until about a decade ago. But I don't want to steal any of her thunder. This is a fascinating story of how passion drives discovery and opens so many new doors into scientific inquiry. So let's just jump right into it. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Vivian Solis-Weiss. I hope you enjoy. All right, Dr. Vivian Solis-Weiss, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I can't tell you how excited I am to talk about your research today, but first, let's start off with an introduction. Tell everyone a little bit about who you are and what it is you do. Well, I I am a marine biologist trained in Mexico first, then in France, and in Israel, and in the United States, where I I made also a some stage and uh, in Washington DC wow. and also in, in Italy. I've been in all, wow. living in all those places that my career took me to. <laughs> and uh, what I do mainly is that I study the marine invertebrates that uh, live close to the bottom. Awesome. Well, bentos, you know, close to the bottom means like uh, the lobsters, the, the shrimp, those are the most uh, usually known to to people, and others less known, which are the the polychaetes, the annelid polychaetes, in which I specialize, which are marine worms. And um, so, what I do with them is that I studied who they are, I describe new species, etc., and also their role in the ecosystem, like their indicators of pollution and. Um, and so on. So I, I I work in that mainly, and that is what led me to this, uh, I think, very big discovery of marine pollination. Exciting indeed. I can't emphasize how amazing this discovery is and to have layers of work and data to support it. But what made you interested in the benthos, the, 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 the organisms living on the seafloor? I mean, where did that all begin for you? Well, uh, I was doing my, well, I, I went to France to make my doctorate, mm-hmm. and um, mainly they said that they had a very no, well-known scientist, which was Dr. Picard, uh, who was willing to direct my, my doctorate thesis, and he worked on that. Mm-hmm. So mainly I was driven more by the personality and um, the fact that this guy was very famous, who had discovered how to organize uh, the 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 knowledge of these animals that live close to the bottom, and that drove me into that particular uh, branch of of science. And then I discovered that they were really fantastic animals, and uh, I have been able to study them even at great depth in uh, submarines. Ooh. For example, I I dive I go with the Alvin, 
the Alvin submarine, the nice. submarine in the Gulf of California to 2,500 meters. I was the first uh, Latin American woman to, to wow. do that. And uh, we discovered fantastic signals <laughs> there, but that's another another problem. Sure. And uh, I have fascinated, I have been fascinated all my life with those animals. So uh, it's all that I can say. I imagine there are many things that are amazing in uh, nature. Sure. And my main my main aim in life was that to to be in the nature, to explore what others aren't explored yet. And uh, it took me to that, to desert islands, to the bottom of the sea, to uh, to, <laughs> to unknown beaches, etc. <laughs> and I, I've been uh, doing that uh, already for 45 years. Wow. Phenomenal. I love it because it just shows you how following your passions can take you, gosh, to the bottom of the ocean sometimes. <laughs> That's remarkable. And it, it sounds like you've done a lot of things along the way. But when I think about sort of the taxonomy side of things, describing new species, I, I generally think of taxonomy and ecology kind of sitting in different scientific camps. When did you start sort of melding the two together? And why did it become important to look at not only what species of polychaetes or benthos organisms you were looking at, but how they were fitting into the ecosystems in which they lived? Because, you know, taxonomy is... is uh... Is basic, you know. It's like if you have an engine and you don't know which are the the, the the parts or the noun of the parts, you can you cannot put your car to 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 I don't know to circulate. But <laughs> sure. uh, then, if you want to car to, to to you want to drive your car, which would be the ecosystem in this analogy, you have to know the the, the basic parts, which is taxonomy, and in not only in Mexico, but worldwide, it was not very well known at, the, at that time. And um, so you have to do the basics first. But uh, to tell you the truth, it's not my favorite. No? I have described over 65 new species <laughs> for the in, in polychaetes, a couple in crustaceans. Uh, two species have been dedicated to me and well, three now with the uh, with the crustacean. And uh, but it's not really what uh, what I'm passionate about. Mm. I'm passionate about what are they doing there? Why are they living there? What uh, can be learned from their lives? Mm. And, and it's really that is passion. You know, you know, it, it's uh, it's really amazing what yeah. these little animals or critters or however you call them can <laughs> can can teach you. In fact. Yeah, it's so exciting. I. Lo I, I stuck with terrestrial systems, but I love snorkeling and diving and, and seeing just a completely alien world. And when I think of things like polychaetes, especially having been into aquariums and been diving, I think of like rocky habitats. But the system we're talking about today brought you in contact with a lot of plants. And, and I don't know how many, I'm not going to speak for all my listeners, but plants in the ocean seems kind of contradictory at times, but there are indeed a lot of plants down there in certain areas, right? Well, yes, there are a lot because they are very widespread, but there are very few species. Mm. Because, in fact, what happened, as uh, you know, everyone from uh, uh, us to the plants came from the sea. Right. Okay. And plants began to colonize uh, the earth or the land uh, about uh, 420 million years ago. 
However, after colonizing the plant and being as successful as we know they are, um, some grasses decided to go back and decided in uh, parentheses, <laughs> right, in, uh, right. I would say in brackets. It's a decided, safe space. <laughs> yes. Well, they, go, they went back to see, let's put it that way, they went back to see about 100 million years ago. Oh. To do so, they had to, end, to, to do many modifications again, because it's not the same living in uh, contact with the atmosphere as underwater. And they underwent very serious modifications, even in the DNA, so that that is a point of no return. They could not return to land again. That's that's it. They went back to sea where they are very successful because we find, well, not everybody knows, but extensive, very extensive meadows of those seagrasses in well, in the tropical world, uh, beaches of the world, and you know, in um, shallow waters because they mm. need the sun to do the, the photosynthesis, but they are anchored to the to the to the sediment by their roots, hmm. and uh, they live very successfully as uh, grasses. So uh, they are also in the Mediterranean. They are almost everywhere, hmm. but very few species or genera. You know, they are like uh, they're grasses, right. but no, nobody be, be, besides grasses have successfully uh, turn back to the sea. That is so. so cool. I mean, like you think of whales doing that, right? They had the land history, but they're, here's a great yes. plant example of exactly that and, and far more successful, in my opinion, than whales. How many species do you work with directly or genera? Is it just one where you generally do these studies or is it a, a handful? I uh, When I began my... my um, well, my career as a scientist, I was uh, here in the National University of Mexico in the Institute of Marine Science. And at that point, I was uh, more or less uh, told that uh, it would be nice if I worked on the animals uh, with which uh, dwelled in the seagrasses, because everybody was studying a particular very large lagoon that we have in Mexico. And that's how I began. Oh. So. How many organisms? Thousands and thousands. I, I don't know how to say it, but maybe how many? I have in my collection more than 50,000 of them in wow. the collection, which is not everything that I, <laughs> I have done. They're only those that I kept in the collection. So there are many. They are thick. They are tiny. They can be ti- as tiny as a hair, or they can be as large as uh, four meters which are those that live in the hydrothermal vents down there at 2,500 meters. Wow. So you have everything that you can think of, and you can find them everywhere. Even in the, they have found some uh, polychaetes in the orchids in the in the middle of the Amazon, you know? Wow. <laughs> so wow. if you put it another way, you cannot get rid of them. But <laughs> the seagrasses are a particular, a particular ecosystem. I began studying them then then i i moved to other things like uh, i don't know uh, the the continental shelf mm-hmm. the old platforms the the coral reefs uh, i've been in mostly every environment we have in mexico and some in europe okay so uh, the the seagrasses were the beginning mm-hmm. but uh, not at all all my life it was wow. a few a few years 
And I returned to them with this uh, pollination uh, project because I was invited by a botanist that mm. we have, which is, called, is, is Dr. Brigitte Van Tussenbroek. And she's a botanist working with us, which works. She has been working with the seagrasses for her whole career. So she noticed that there were animals, you know, around the flowers of these plants. Those are flowering plants. Right. And uh, she invited me to look at them and see or understand what they were doing there. And mm. that's how the project, but it's uh, 10 years ago, right? We, yeah. we, we published 10 years ago, but we've been working on that for a little <laughs> bit more. And we stopped uh, after 216 or 17 because we have another problem now, but uh, let's not talk about that Fair. in this moment. <laughs> let's focus right. on the why and what the, about the pollination problem. Yeah, that's incredible. And so it's one of those things when I bring up grasses to more of a lay audience, they go, oh, I didn't know grasses had flowers. They do. But even beyond that, thinking of seagrass, how few people think of seagrasses, and then to think, oh, those are also flowering plants, like you said. Uh, but I love that this was all based out of watching the system, observing, making these observations, and then saying, huh, wonder why that is, and then calling in fellow experts to weigh in. And so when you came into this, had you ever thought of that before or, or thought about what these organisms were doing in and around the plants? And, and how did you begin to start chipping away at this mystery? Well, uh, as I said, I have been studying those animals in the seagrasses for several years. But what we did at that point was collect the plants, mm. you know, like in uh, with uh, corers, let's put it that way, big, with big corers, and you take the plant and the sediment which is around it, and that's where you find the animals, because okay. the polychaetes and the crustaceans are mostly um, animals that come out at night ah, for feeding. Okay. They don't feed on seagrasses, they don't eat it, they just uh, are around in the canopy. If they, you find them during the day, is because they, they are moving around with the shelter by the canopy, but mostly they come out at night to feed. Otherwise, they are eaten by somebody else, you know, <laughs> like fishes or sure. some, something like that. So you discover them in the sediment in galleries. The sediment is usually muddy, maybe with uh, some sand, but so they excavate their galleries. And that's how I knew how diverse and how abundant they were. And uh, not only polychaetes, but crustaceans and mm. all kinds of animals are found there around. But they do not feed on the, on the grasses. They feed on someone else. No? They feed either on little or small algae that, that grow up on, the, on the, the grasses themselves, or they eat each other. You know, they are either um, carnivorous or scavengers. They, uh, they do all their cycles interacting between them, between the animals. But the thought that they could be helping in pollinating the flowers of the seagrasses was unheard of. No one had ever thought about it before we did. Hmm. Uh, even thought about it because it was believed by the people who study the plants themselves that those flowers, you know, the, the male flowers release the pollen they release it at night, and it. Uh, they release it during like two hours, and oh. then they they die. Oh, the male. 
Huh. And the female flowers open up also at night. And uh, the pollen is brought about, it was so that only brought about by water. And they capture some of it. And the female can um, can be alive for 22, 72 hours. Wow. So uh, that makes them uh, more prone to have those pollen arrive to them. But with the current of the seas, inland, we have also many plants that rely on that kind mm. of pollination by the wind. Right, right. Okay? So like palm trees, those, uh, the pollen is brought about by the wind. It lands on the female flowers because it, it, it is uh, brought by, by hazard. And in, we were, everybody thought that in, under the sea, it was the same process. In fact, it is demonstrated that it is the same process when you have pollination, because huh. you probably know that the grasses also, um, <laughs> also have asexual reproduction by stemming or cloning themselves, uh, yeah. also in land and also in, in the sea. So they expand a lot by just uh, stemming, you know, they have stems and, but they have also those flowers. Nobody ever believed that it was animals. In fact, we have a very hard time to publish the first uh, paper in 2012 <laughs> because nobody believed us that uh, that we had found that we have, uh, you know, bees and butterflies under the sea uh, <laughs> pollinating those flowers, except that it's at night. It should be more uh, like bats and moths. Right, right. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, like, like I like to, to think more romantically that there are bees and butterflies. Yeah, sure. Why not? Whatever works for you. But again, just <laughs> yeah. the the taking the step to have the patience really to sit down and look at this. And so was this something that you had you could bring into the lab and study with the lights off? Or did you have to don your scuba gear and just get out there and start looking and, and trying to observe this in situ? The first thing we, we did, in effect, was to go and scuba diving nice you know like for three years and when the flat when they are flowers mm -hmm. and uh, because uh, what uh, happened is that uh, Brigitte uh, found that when they she took cores there were always animals around and somehow she believed that this was not as normal as, as uh, it could be believed and uh, she began to look more into it so what do we did we do we went to the places where the flowers are. The flowers are very small, inconspicuous, and very close to the sediment, you know, like one centimeter, mm. two centimeters. And, and the leaves are, are tall. They can be like, uh, I don't know, 25 or 30 centimeters. Okay. But the flowers are there, and they are very difficult to see if you're not trained, you know. <laughs> and they are like that because they want to escape also predation by parrotfish or those yeah. journeys fish. However, they open up at night when there are flowers. So uh, you used to go when uh, plants were flowering and before sunset we went, we identified the, the flowers that we wanted to study that particular day and we put underwater cameras. Then we went back to the boat, waited until about 8 or 8.30 at night, then went back and put uh, the cameras on with the lights and everything we needed. And we spent there about one hour or more, depending on, on how much we needed, filming what happened. 
And that mm. is where we noticed what was happening really. You know, so we repeated it the year later and a year later, and then we had the results. Wow. That uh, we published that in fact the animals are foraging in the in the plants, in the flowers. Oh. That's how we we uh, we could demonstrate that uh, it was uh, too strange to be, you know, just the effect of the water current, because we could see how the male flowers were visited more often by those invertebrates. They are tiny sometimes, so you think that the current may, uh, uh, you know, capture them and they cannot swim by themselves. But you notice that when they are close to the pollen, which is embedded in some mucilaginous, mm. like, Jelly in uh, in um, in the flowers themselves. This is a polysaccharide, which is something that will uh, feed them. That they are attracted because oh. it's uh, you know like a bit like a sugar. Yeah, and so they they try to swim back to get it. <laughs> and so they are embedded within pollen, and then when they come to the female flower, they enter it and they forage there, and so. Foraging has been uh, observed, but only in the female flowers. And so while doing so, it's like the bees. They leave the pollen there, and uh, and that's how it, 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 uh, it is pollinated, right? Wow. So that was a field observation and the first publication. <laughs> However, you have to demonstrate it. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. And that's the following step. Wow. And so it sounds like, if if I understood that correctly, it's they're visiting the male flower for an actual reward. It's the female flower that they're just kind of poking around in, and by chance, that sticky pollen gets brushed off on the organs. Well, yes, it, 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 it seemed that way, but then we began experimenting. Yes. You know, and because if you want to demonstrate pollination, you have to, first of all, you have to see that that male and female organs, sexual organs, which are the flowers, are visited by the by the organism, by the same organism, that the visitors carry pollen from one to the other, that there is a transfer of the pollen from the male to the female flower, they, they transfer it, and then that, that deposition results in germination mm. and finally a seed. Okay, fruit and seeds, right? Which is uh, what happens. So, how do you demonstrate that? Yeah. That has to be in the lab. Yeah. So, uh, what we did, and and it's not that easy. You have to go and take the flowers in in the where where they are when they are going to germinate, but you have more or less to know. <laughs> and the female flower, as I say, can can be alive for seventy two hours, but Dang. not so the male. You have to know that the male will open that night and release the pollen because it has only about two hours to wow. do that. So we did that and we put them in aquaria. And there we put them in aquaria with no movement of water at all. Okay? Nice. So that you cannot say that some pollen reached the female flower because of hazard was because it was carried away. No, it had to be the pollen uh, field animals, you know, the pollen that was in their body parts right. that 
ended up in the female flower. Wow. Okay. So that's what we did. We put Aquaria and uh, we did it, I don't know how many times, but a lot. <laughs> in those Aquaria, you know, we, we used to go to the field, take the flowers and put them where they had to be put uh, in the Aquaria and then wait at night and collect the animals in with lamb traps. And those newly collected invertebrates with the light traps was what we brought back to the lab and then began the, the experiment. Wow. Then the, that, I don't know, two or three o'clock in the morning because uh, wow. you have to wait uh, eight o'clock at night so that they get up, get and take them in the traps, wait for the traps to fill, to, to take them back. And we did uh, put animals in big concentrations so to be sure that some of them would do that. But because we have no movement of the waters, if they were not attracted to the to the flowers with pollen, they would not have moved or they would have, uh, I don't know, swim erratically. Right. Because, of the, you know, the aquaria is, is big, but they did not. They huh. were definitely attracted to the, the male flowers with the pollen. They uh, cover their, their body with that. And then they swim to the flower, the female flower. So uh, it demonstrate it was demonstrated that way in the lab with different sorts of aquaria, big ones, middle ones, and also, um, you know, the 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 little invertebrates, which are crustaceans and polychaetes, did not go or very seldom to the flowers which had not pollen. To the male flowers without pollen, wow. they did not stop by. They went to because we also made the you know, when you do that experiment, you have to prove that uh, they are not there just because. Yeah. But some flowers did not have pollen and they did not go to those flowers. They went to the flowers with pollen. And wow. then to the female flowers, not back to the ones with no pollen, the female flowers, which have like uh, tentacles, you know, they're, yeah. they're, uh, that attract them. And then the pollen was deposited there the, and they forage in the female water female flower and then they go away and the pollen deposit in the female flower uh, germinates it makes pollen too and then they go on and they produce finally a fruit with two to four until six uh, seeds inside amazing yeah it is amazing really yeah and and it had to feel so great to go through all of that effort to validate these observations you had made in the field to get those data in and be able to analyze and say, no, this is happening. We have the data to prove it had to feel so good. <laughs> well, yes, uh, we, we, we really, you know, it's really a very, very hard work and it yeah. is years because yeah. the flowers are not year round. Oh. Once uh, it's uh, two or three months Wow! In, in the spring and that's it. So, um, but it is very interesting also that uh, from my point of uh, view as a, an animal biologist, that um, the animals, 47% uh, of those polychaetes found, because the polychaetes were less uh, abundant than the crustaceans. Mm -hmm. I know about the polychaetes. Right. Were caught when they reproduce also. Oh. And when they reproduce, the, this particular species, which is uh, it has a complicated name, but this particular species, which was 
almost 50% of what we collected was in the reproductive uh, moment of their life cycle. And, the, and when they are in that uh, state, their uh, bristles are changed by some sort of wings. Hmm. And they, they begin to swim and they are attracted by the moonlight. So wow. when it's the full moon, it's close to the full moon, is when they go up to reproduce. Okay? And these were more or less exact times when the flowers would open. <laughs> and when they, they do so, they swim a lot, you know? Mm. And so the interchange, it, it is like a co-evolution wow. that uh, we are witnessing. And this is not yet been studied but uh, i suspect that there is more to it and uh, maybe they're coupling with uh, we don't know if it's coupled with the reproductive uh, season of those animals or not uh, for the crustaceans it's even more complicated because there are so many different uh, kind of uh, crustaceans that are there swimming around but um in, in fact, we are at the beginning of very interesting discoveries yeah. in evolution. Yeah. yeah. Evolutionary stuff. And an already very complex system because, again, reminder that a lot of the ancestors of these organisms started on land and returned to the sea. But then to have all of this dynamic play out over hundreds of thousands, millions of years, you, you I just love when you start to tell a good story and then you strip away the layers of it and it becomes so much more complex. And, and it, it seems like the data suggests... This isn't chance. This is not random. There's a there's enough data and evidence and patterns to go. No, we have to explore this deeper. I love that story. Yeah, you know the 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 animals teach you a lot. Yeah, we we think of them as simple or as uh, uh, even more so when they are so small. And so the brain, of course, is rudimentary. <laughs> but it's amazing how organized it can be. How um, how many things are uh, I think that it's not just by chance it's evolution of course Sure. but uh, they are less advanced in evolution than we are that's of course also but uh, we should not uh, think of them as too simple creatures right. they are not that simple Right, right. Yeah. I mean, people would just write this off as this little squiggly things in the sand. And then when you look at it through detailed observations and just taking the time and having the patience to sit there with it, it's a whole world with, with co-evolutionary dynamics that could be deeper than anyone. You know, you said it yourself, no one imagined this 10 years ago. No, no, no one imagined <laughs> it. Once you say, well, it is like that, you say, well, why not? Yeah. If it is in land, why not in sea? But this is after it was discovered. When it's not discovered, you don't know. Right, you know? right. And uh, you don't know, you don't think of it. And uh, and it was really, well, challenging in the physical uh, <laughs> yeah. aspect, which we had to do so many diving, because it was Brigitte and me who dived in at night. Nice. You know, we are not the young students, students that do that. <laughs> we are us. <laughs> who died, and, and we love it. I, I must Good. say that Good. we wouldn't. I wouldn't change my uh, my my diving with uh, with younger people. I want to do it. I Good. want to witness it. I want to see the sea at night. Is uh, it's fantastic. Yeah. Really. 
besides the interesting thing, it's it's really fun. Yeah. I mean, again, look where passion took you. you you've uncovered a whole new world of pollination ecology, co-evolutionary dynamics that we've repeatedly said we didn't know existed up until a decade ago. And now it's unleashed more questions, more systematic sort of looks at evolution and, and how this ecology plays out across the range of these various organisms. I mean, it's not just in this bay where you found it. There's seagrass everywhere and polychaetes everywhere, crustaceans everywhere in the ocean. And, and how often do you see this? Are there different spins on it? That sort of stuff. Yes. So, uh, well, yes. Every time you go, you know, in one branch of science, maybe with orchids is the same. And uh, I, I often think if I was not a marine biologist, I would be in the canopies of trees in the Amazon nice. or something. Challenging. You know? Because... <laughs> Everything is so interesting in nature that it's amazing. This is also a bit behavioral. Yeah. Whatever that means, it's such a tiny animals and invertebrates because uh, people are more used to, you know, to study behavior in gorillas or in yeah. uh, that kind of animals, but even in people. But I think it's very, very interesting to see that they don't do things just like that they, yeah. they they have a purpose of course remarkable yeah. stuff and so for yeah. anyone listening that wants to learn more about this work or or seek out what you are going to be doing into the future where do you recommend they go looking well we have the, those two publications well you know with the the my name there and you look at there or there is a um there is a, I, I don't know how you call that it's a small video in youtube Okay. Uh, yeah. Which the pie depicts, the I don't know if you've seen it. I have, it but I will share that for people. Well, yeah. I recommend that because it gives you a fair idea of what, uh, you know, we try to put uh, the best uh, pieces of video together so to, to, to demonstrate what happens in the sea. Perfect. It seems like very, very strong current <laughs> because the animals are so small. Right. But, um, that gives you a good idea. And then if you go to uh, to plants pollination, you, you can see our work, me and Brigitte Van Tussenberg. I, I don't know, if maybe I should uh, write it, but in, uh, you know, just like saying it, it's uh, it's very difficult. You know, oh, no, that's okay. Uh, I can also fill this pollination. Yeah, I can put up links so that people can find them very easily. Well, we can do that. Perfect. At, at the end of the, I will direct you to those two publications. One is in Nature, Nature Communications, nice. which is about the the best you can find in uh, <laughs> in that kind of uh, yeah. communications. And uh, the other, the other is when they didn't believe us, so we had to go a bit lower in uh, in uh, the best known uh, um, journals. And those two would be the basis. Perfect. Of what we do. Well, Dr. Solis Weiss, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for talking to us about this. This is remarkable, and and I really look forward to see what what these discoveries unleash in this entire global system. We could potentially look at it for. So, thank you so much for taking time to talk with us about it. Well, thank you too. Of course, thank you for inviting me. It was really a pleasure to to meet you, and uh, and see that you're interested by things of uh, evolution because people are more interested in you know, things that are connected to, to something like, uh, and, and we are actually, we are not, we have not been able to continue with those uh, investigations because we have now the problem of the sargassum. 
here in uh, in our uh, in our shores. So we are devoting almost all our time to investigate how, how this phenomenon could uh, be stopped. Which uh, huh. you know, so um, you have also that yeah, you have mother nature uh, taking revenge, and uh, we we have to study all yeah. that to see what can be done about uh, the problem. Agreed. Well, we'll so, have to have someone on to talk about that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But uh, let's say that uh, this this opens just a new branch of investigation that uh, I am sure will bring a lot of uh, discoveries that are very interesting. Beautiful. Well, very inspiring. And again, thank you for doing it. Thank you for putting in the time. Yeah, no, well, thank you. No, I, as I say, thank you for inviting me because uh, it's always a pleasure to talk about uh, about what we think is a passionate, uh, a passion of our lives, and that to find that people are also interested in in uh, hearing what we have. Oh yeah, you're, you're you're hitting a perfect audience for this. So keep it up and uh, happy diving. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Cheers. Cheers. Fascinating stuff. That is so cool and. Seagrass is in so many areas around the globe. Unfortunately, it's also in decline in so many areas around the globe. And who knows what kind of unique and interesting evolutionary relationships exist and could be disappearing if we don't do something to both protect it and understand it. I thank Dr. Solis Weiss for taking time out of her busy schedule to talk with us. And all of the links for everything we talked about can be found over in the show notes. So just head on over to indefensiveplants.com slash podcast if you'd like to learn more. While you're over there, considering looking at all the ways you can help keep this show up and running, you can become a patron over at patreon.com slash indefensiveplants, or you can pick up a copy of my book, some of our customizable merch, and stickers. All of those would make great holiday gifts, if I do say so myself. But that is it for me this week. I thank you all for listening. Make sure to hit that subscribe button and keep checking back in. But until next time, hang in there, stay healthy, and get outside if you can. This is your host, Matt, signing out. Adios, everyone.